Hey, welcome to a Zion People podcast. I am Keelan, an intern at Zion Church, and this is our latest message. The team here hope the message challenges you, inspires you, but most of all, builds your faith. Enjoy the message. Welcome to church. If you're online, welcome. Thanks for joining us at home. If you're with us in the building, it's great to have you as part of our gathering this morning. Thanks to the team for leading us in worship. My job is to bring the Word of God. The Word of God says, without faith, it is impossible to please God. I wonder how that goes down for you. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. And that challenges me. This passage is found in Hebrews 11, and it's the anchor scripture for a new series that we start today called The Way of Faith. In this series, over the next five Sundays, my desire is that we would explore what I'm calling different facets of a life of faith that I'm calling The Way of Faith. And as part of the series, each week what we're going to do is we're going to turn to Hebrews 11 and we're going to look at one of the I suppose you could call them the heroes of faith that we see in what's often referred to as the hall of faith. Hebrews chapter 11. In this series, it's my hope that each one of us chooses to respond in faith to the life that's presented before us. This is the invitation that the scriptures give us. And even just as I read, unplanned as it was from Colossians, there was an invitation in that scripture if you heard it. An invitation to step away from something old and into something new. So for some of us in this series, it's going to look like responding in surrender to Jesus Christ. Some for the first time, some again. That's the best kind of response. But it's just the beginning. For many of us, it's going to look like taking a step of faith and relate to work or to family or to our, our journey of faith as we navigate life with God. But I want you to remember, faith is an action word. Faith is an action word, and therefore it requires us to take action. So uh, today we're going to look at Abraham as a father of our faith. Next week, we're going to look at Abel and his story that we see referenced in Hebrews 11. The following week, uh, we've got a completely different plan for church. It's going to be very different for all of you. Uh, but we'll also take a look at someone in that passage of Scripture in Hebrews 11 that had to fight and then stand to see God bring victory. Because victory comes by his hand and his hand alone. In the final two weeks, we're going to look at some of the not-so-common names that some of us just used to gloss over because it was near the, near the end. But I would encourage you, as your preparation for journeying in this series, whether you're here or at home, is to read Hebrews 11 during the week. Maybe each week, think about reading it in a different translation. When you read different translation, you get different nuances, you get different language, and you get different perspectives, um, and each of them make up what we call the Word of God. But more than information, as I was mapping this series out, I really felt stirred and challenged not just to present messages each week, 
And there's a reason for that. Uh, I was having a conversation with Pastor Sheridan, a friend of mine in Hamilton, and we were talking about the church. He's a pastor, I'm a pastor, we, we talk about church. And he said to me, he says, look, I, f- I really feel there's a big need for discipleship in the church, that we would grow disciples. He says, the church is full of believers, but it's not full of disciples. And I'm like, well, explain that one. He says, well, look at the disciples in the Gospels. They were followers of Jesus Christ. They believed in Jesus Christ, but they followed his teaching and did what he taught. It's a big believer. Big big difference between someone who believes in Jesus and someone who does what he says. Discipleship is doing what Jesus teaches. Let's not just be believers. I mean, even the devil's a believer. The devil believes in Jesus. Let's not be hearers of the word, but let's be doers of the word. And so in the series, rather than just give you sermons each week and wait till next Sunday, what I've decided to do is to to activate um, you in integrating messages into your life. So each week you're going to have the opportunity to have a personal devotion that you take home. You'll get them online. It'll be in the emails or you can take one today. And you can journey through the message during the week by chewing on the scripture, reflecting on the message, thinking about what you see in the Bible. Because the Bible brings revelation, personal revelation, and that's that's really powerful. Today you're going to get my revelation, but what's more important is that the Spirit speaks to you and that you get your revelation. There's activities for you to do in there so that you can make faith part of your life. And then, one of the things that's really important in church family is connection. So this is why at the end of the year I'm running School of the Spirit classes. Not because I need something else to do, but because we want to grow believers to be disciples. We want to help people to become stronger, but we want people to connect in a group and minister to one another. For the last couple of weeks, we've had people ministering to each other on Wednesday night because that's how the body grows. So connection is the key. That's why we promote connect groups, that you'd get together with two or three others or five, it doesn't matter, and you'd pray for one another, you'd read the scriptures, and you'd understand what life is for you at the moment. Connect groups are vital. So as part of the series, what I'm encouraging, and you'll see it in the devotion, and we'll mention it in the emails, is I'm encouraging you to find a buddy, one or two other people that you will journey this with and catch up with. You might do a video call, you might do a phone call, you might do a coffee, you might visit and have a meal together. But what I'm hoping you do is you connect over the scriptures and you pray for each other. Connection is really, really, really important. So have a think about, as we journey, how you might connect with someone intentionally through the series. So the way of faith, this is the key verse. It's found in Hebrews Chapter 11 and verse 6. It is impossible to please God without faith. Anyone who wants to come to him must believe that God exists and that he rewards those who sincerely seek him. So we're going to talk about faith. The word faith that's used in this passage, we don't actually know for sure who wrote Hebrews. But we know who the audience was. It was a letter to the Hebrew people. And they wrote it in Greek originally. And the Greek word that's used there for faith is translated, or original word is pistis. And it means this, persuasion, assurance, belief, 
Conviction based on hearing. This word faith is used 32 times in the book of Hebrews, but it's used 24 times in Hebrews chapter 11. That's why we call it the chapter on faith. I I, I made a note of some definitions that I read online. Faith includes firm conviction, acknowledging God's truth, personal surrender to him, faith is an action word, and conduct inspired by such surrender. Faith also pleases God. Faith enables believers to obey God, to take risks, to face obstacles, to endure suffering within difficult circumstances, and despite unknown consequences, faith exists. Faith gains God's approval, and faith will be rewarded. Interesting, eh? Like, there's so much packed in this word faith. It feels like a, a full plate that we could, we could just feed on for ages. Faith gives us a conviction of who God really is. Faith allows us, faith is what enables us to surrender to God. And faith enables us to live like we're surrendered. But here's the kicker. The faith that God gives us is the faith that pleases God. Faith is not something we create for ourselves. You don't conjure it up. You don't psych yourself up or have six shots of espresso and when your eyes are blinking, you've got faith to believe for miracles. Faith is a gift that God gives us. So we can't boast about it. We can't take credit for it. We can't say, hey, we are the ones who made ourselves faithful. Jesus Christ, the Bible says, is the author and perfecter of our faith. It initiates in him. The Bible also says that we are allotted or allocated faith in measure, each one different. We did spiritual gifts on Wednesday night, and it was interesting to see different people had different measures of faith. Not that there's a hierarchy, but God gives a measure of faith. Jesus actually taught us, though, we could ask for faith. And we see demonstrated in the, the Gospels that we can ask for more faith. However much, wherever it comes, however it comes, and what level it comes, faith is a gift and it comes from God. The book of Hebrews is a letter written to the church. The original sort of Hebrew origin, Jewish-centric church that believed Jesus was their saviour. But the whole book is actually written, if you read it from beginning to end, is not about how to get faith, but this, this book is written to show you that, that we can't earn it, but it's already been done by Jesus. There's a comparison, a contrast in this book between the law that the Hebrews were raised in believing as the way to God and a contrast with Jesus who made the way for us to stand before God, not because of what we've done, but because of what Jesus has done. The whole book is about that. So this chapter is not about how to get faith. It's what to do with it. This book, Hebrews 11, is all about the practice of faith. And the practice of faith is what pleases God. So let's have a look. Again, at the beginning of 
um, Hebrews 11, we just want to, I'm building a foundation for the series. Faith is confidence in what we hope for. It's assurance about what we do not see. Key phrases here, confidence and assurance. That color is not very helpful, but see, confidence. What is it that we hope for? Where is our hope? Our hope is in Christ. So we can have confidence in what our hope is in. Secondly, we can see we can have assurance. We can be sure, certain, without wavering about what we can't even see. Faith is about what we don't see, not about what we do see. I did quite a bit of reading this week, and I ended up in a, in a non-Christian discussion forum about faith. It was fascinating to read some people's comments in this forum about faith. And, and a guy uh, shared this quote, and it, it, it actually smacked me upside the head in a positive way. And I don't even believe he was a Christian. He was quoting a professor from his college days, and this is what he said. Faith is confidence in the absence of evidential data. And it's also confidence in the presence of conflicting data. Let me read that again. Faith is the confidence. Faith is confidence. Faith is confidence in the absence of evidential data. But it's also confidence in the presence of conflicting data. Faith isn't about what you see. Faith isn't even about what's around you. Faith is about what's in you that's given you as a gift and faith determines and is demonstrated by how you act. So much so that the person writing the book of Hebrews says this is what the old guys of our history were commended for. The, the, the New Living Translation says, through their faith, the people in days of old earned a good reputation. What does this mean? A life of faith echoes through the corridors of history. A life of faith echoes through the corridors of history. That means your life of faith has the potential to affect others. Abraham, we're going to look at Abraham today. He's called the father of the Jewish faith. His faith impacted his son Isaac. All you've got to do for a moment is consider the long walk home from Mount Moriah. Think about that story. It's in Genesis 22. Abraham's grandson, Jacob, was deeply affected by the stories he heard of his father and his grandfather in their life of faith. And, and so Jacob was diligent and determined to instill faith into the tribes of Israel. Think about yourself. You're not an island. Looking around the room, I'm pretty confident none of you live in caves isolated from anyone else. What that means is that your life affects others. Your life affects other people. That's why I'm saying a life of faith echoes through the corridors of history. I suppose the question for you is you can think about in the series called The Way of Faith is how is my life going to positively affect others? that follow after me. So today I want to look at Abraham. Abraham, as he is referred to 
in verse 8 of Hebrews 11. It's on the screen for you. By faith, Abraham, when called to a place, called to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. There's several mentions of Abraham in this chapter, but I only just want to focus on this one verse, this one instance in the life of Abraham that I think can help us, could transform us if we let the Word of God do that, which changes our life, which changes the lives of those that follow us. So I want to look at this. This verse refers to a story that we find in Genesis chapter 12. And Keelan read part of that this morning, and I want to read it for you today. So if you've got your Bibles, swipe the screen or turn the page across to Genesis chapter 12, because the, the reference in Hebrews 11 is where we're going to, that's where the story, the references, the accolades, but the story itself that that verse refers to is found in Genesis chapter 12, and that's what I want to unpack. Genesis chapter 12, verse 1. The Lord said to Abram, leave your native country, your relatives and your father's family and go to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you and make you famous and you will be a blessing to others. I will bless those who bless you and curse those who treat you with contempt. All the families on earth will be blessed through you. So Abram departed as the Lord had instructed, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he left Haran. He took his wife, Sarai, his nephew Lot, and all his wealth, his livestock, and all the people he had taken into his household at Haran. And he headed for the land of Canaan. When they arrived in Canaan, Abram traveled through the lamb as far as Shechem, where he set up camp beside the oak of Morah. At that time, the area was inhabited by Canaanites. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, I will give this land to your descendants. And Abram built an altar there and dedicated it to the Lord who had appeared to him. After that, Abram traveled south and set up camp in the hill country with Bethel to the west and I to the east. There he built another altar and dedicated it to the Lord. And he worshipped the Lord. Then Abraham continued traveling south by stages towards the Negev. Here and we, he, we see the story of Abraham, who becomes Abraham. So really quick explanation if you've never encountered this guy in the Bible before. You can see in the beginning of the story we read he's referenced and his name is Abraham. And then later, you see in Hebrews, he's called Abraham. Same name, different guy. And there's an interaction with God that happens in the middle of his story where his name is changed. Interestingly, Abraham has a meaning and it means exalted father. He's this 75-year-old dude with a wife and lots of servants, heaps of livestock, no children. And he's called exalted father. And then before he even has a son that's promised by God, God changes his name to Abraham, and Abraham means father of a multitude. God ties up a promise for us in our name. But that's the explanation. Abraham, 
becomes Abraham, same guy, encounter with God in the middle. So in this passage of Scripture from Genesis 12, verse 1, right through to verse 9, I see four key parts to the story. And I see four parts, and each part has a principle of faith that we could choose to embrace in our journey. But the reality is for me, as I've been wrestling with this during the week, and even as I was going through it uh, yesterday afternoon, I'm like, man, I'm not sure I'm doing so well here. So are they four principles or are they four challenges? Four aspects of life that we could grow stronger in as we ask God to give us strength and faith as we live the life of faith and the way of faith. So I want to look at these four parts. The first part I've called the promise. And these are the first three verses of Genesis chapter 12, where God speaks to him, appears to him, and says, hey, let's go. But here's a promise that I'm going to give you. A promise where you will be great and mighty, a multitude, father of a multitude of people. All the nations on earth will be blessed through you, meaning through your seed, meaning through your son. And he says this to a guy whose wife is barren and they can't have kids. The promise When you read the story of Abraham, and I, and, I, and, I, and I suggest you do this week, if you're doing the devotion, you'll see it unpacked and some questions for you to think about in the life of Abraham. He gets a promise. But like I said before, it's one thing to hear a promise. It's another thing to believe the promise. And what sets Abraham apart at the beginning that God notices is that Abraham believes God. And it leads him into a great reward. The promise of God should change us. The promise of God that he gives us should transform us into a place of belief where we chase after those rewards that God has put before us. God doesn't tease us or entice us or manipulate us. He offers a great and mighty reward and invites us to ask for the faith that he's willing to give us in order that we would obtain that reward. It's like a no-brainer. And it starts with a promise. Well, how does Abraham get this promise? Well, I personally believe if I look at the narrative of the scriptures before his day and after his day, I believe Abraham chose to position himself in, in close proximity to God in order to receive a promise. So if you're sitting there thinking, well, it's all right for you, it's all right for him, but what about me? I don't have a promise. How do you get a promise? Position yourself close to God. Position yourself close to your father, as Abraham did. He left, um, he left the Ur of the Chaldeans with his father Terah. They moved to Haran. They were supposed to be coming to, um, to Canaan, but they got, they got stopped on the way. His dad dies. But Abraham, it, it, well, we discussed this during the week of a couple of people, and, and like the Lord said to Abraham, verse 1, to me that implies relationship. It implies he already had a relationship with God. This is not a burning bush moment where Moses got surprised and shocked and didn't know who it was. This is an intimate moment where God speaks to someone who knows who he is. What does that mean? Have a relationship with God where you can hear him speak. But more than that, Abraham was connected to something far greater. 
I have a theory. I have a theory about this. And it's just a theory because I can't prove it. But when you study biblical history and you look at the lineage of Abraham and those that were before him and those that were after him and you look at the, the dates and you get your pencil out and you start doing the math, some historians say that when Abraham was born, Noah was still alive. Noah. You remember Noah? Boat, flood, crisis, earth obliterated. Remember that story? Rainbow, happy ending? You Just nod, please, help me out. Okay. Some historians say that when Abraham was born, Noah was still alive. If not, he was definitely alive when Abraham's father was sitting around the fire in the tribe. There's no evidence that they were living together, but that's how these people lived. Big, multi-generational tribes that lived around a tree. They had a farm, and at night there was no Netflix, not even a book to read. So they sat around the campfire telling stories about the past. And I've got a theory, and the theory is this. Noah was sitting around the same fire as Terah and possibly even young Abraham. Why is that significant? God made a covenant promise with Noah. And he said, I want you to be fruitful and multiply and take charge of this earth that I've blessed you with, that I've saved for you. And never again will I flood the earth, but I will repopulate it through you. And I've got a theory that Abraham heard that. His father definitely did because he took his family back to Canaan. Get connected to the promise. This is God's plan to redeem mankind and he's looking for someone and he finds someone who's willing to believe the promise and respond accordingly. What does this mean for you? Get clear on what your promise is and where you're connected to a greater promise. Plug in and be part of that and if you're not 100% sure, then um, we've got an idea at the end that might help with that. Like for instance, when I came to Tiamudu, I came into an existing church that had been operating for almost 30 or well, about 30 years. I came into an environment that had rich history, and I, I chose to set my face before God and ask Him what the promises were for this church. And I didn't make it up. I read the narrative of the history of the church to see what God had said and done in the seasons before me. We're a people of promise. Let us set our faces before God to see what he would say to us. But then secondly, let's have faith to believe the promise. Because Abraham heard the promise and the very next thing he did was go. Which leads me to the second principle. We have the promise in verse 1. And secondly, we have obedience. And this is the one that bites. Because it doesn't matter what God says. The very next thing required is obedience. Verse 4, Abraham left just as the Lord told him to. Was it easy? Was it comfortable? Was it clear? Was it mapped out? Did he know each step? Was he confident that when he got there, he'd recognize it? None of that is mentioned in the scripture. The only words we've got are the words that God put in the scripture where he says, go and I will show you a place that will be rich. So sometimes you just got to take the first step. 
You've got to hear God and receive his promise and take a step of faith. Our son Jackson's not here today, and I haven't got his permission to tell you his story. But I encourage you, next time you see Jackson, to ask him what his story is. Sometimes obedience is what God expects before he'll do anything else. The third thing we see in verses um, 6 and 7 is that Abram traveled and he set up a camp. And, and, and firstly, we see it was inhabited by Canaanites. So he didn't just go to a wide open space that was free with a sign on it that said, for sale. It can be yours if you pay the price. No, it already had people, Canaanites living there, who occupied the land and were rulers of the land. And God said to him, this place where you set your foot, I will give you. So if you're walking toward a promise, don't expect it to look packaged on the shelf. But there's something far more important that I wanted to grab out of this two verses. The Lord appeared to Abraham and said, I will give it to your descendants. And Abraham built an altar and dedicated it to the Lord who had appeared to him. The third principle for a life that lives the way of faith is a lifestyle of worship. Worship is not just about music. Worship is not just about songs. Worship is a life that you put aside and dedicate every aspect of your life to the glory of God. That's what I call a lifestyle of worship. You'll see in the next passage verses that wherever Abraham went, God spoke to him and he set up an altar and there he dedicated himself to the Lord, but not just himself, his entire household. His entire household. And I'm wondering, I'm wondering what your household is like as far as the lifestyle of worship goes. I mean, not music. A life dedicated to the things of God. Do your family see you prioritizing worship? I don't know but it's worth asking the question. And only you can ask yourself that. Worship is not limited to singing. It's not about having Spotify on in the house and making sure the right music is playing. It's about what the choices are that you make every week and during the week. How do you prioritize setting God first? But more importantly, what do your kids see through the choices you make? What do kids think when you choose to forego church once or twice a month? What do you think the kids are thinking? Oh, it's okay to rest. It's all right. We've been busy. The kids don't think that. The kids think worshiping God is optional based on how we feel or how busy our calendar's been, whether there's golf or whether there's sports or whether there's work to do. Think about it. Research tells us The reason teenagers don't follow the faith of their parents is they don't see faith in their parents. Yeah, that's ouch. And as a parent, as parents, we we took that really heavily to heart early in our life as parents. What do your kids see? 
making choices around prioritizing worship. And remember, I'm saying worship is more than church attendance, it's more than music, it's more than singing. It's where God is central to every aspect of your life wherever you go. Where Abraham went, he set up an altar and dedicated his family to God, wherever he was. The fourth and final point that we see in this passage, verses 8 and 9, he sets up another altar, he's got a a location, and then in 9 it says he continued traveling south by stages. Wherever he went, he set up a place of worship. Wherever he went, he sought with the Lord and met him face to face. Wherever he went, he followed God's leading. And I called it consistency. In the original scripture, in the language of the Hebrews, in the original text, it says Abraham journeyed, going and journeying, meant that he just kept going as long as God said. If he was tired, he kept going. If God asked him to move, he moved. If God asked him to stop, he stopped. He journeyed, continually going and journeying. What does this mean for us? Life is not about a destination, but it's about a journey with God. The richness with God is in the journey, not the promise and not the destination. And as I wrestled with this, and I'm about to share some stuff with you, but as I wrestled with this, I realized that consistency was the wrong word. Why? For two reasons. One, Abraham wasn't consistent. Actually, if you look at some of the mistakes he made, he's a bit of a putz at times. And then I looked at my own life. And I realized, actually, I'm not that consistent. So consistency is the wrong word. And I don't actually think God expects that we should have consistency. But what I do see in Abraham is perseverance. Made a mistake, got up and fixed it. Had doubt, went before God. Sarah laughs, he defends her. God doesn't expect perfection. God doesn't even expect consistency, but what he does reward is perseverance. And and this is why I wanted to share this, because I think in the light of 2020, I mean, this becomes a cliche, I know, but man, what a rollercoaster ride this year has been. Does anyone else feel like 2020 has been a rollercoaster? Some of you. Okay, has anyone here been on a rollercoaster? Put your hand up if you've been on a legit rollercoaster. You know, where you sit in a carriage and you put the straps in and it goes. And where's the steering wheel? Oh, that's right, you don't have one. And you hope that the harness or the the thingy around your chest is locked. But on the news the other night, there's a woman that fell out of one. So next time you go on a roller coaster, you might want to check twice. But if, you ever, if you've been on a roller coaster, what you will know is this. If you're sitting at the front, you get a different ride than if you're sitting at the back. You've noticed that? Superman ride in the Gold Coast. You go from zero to 100 kilometers an hour in three seconds. That takes your breath away. You then climb vertical, and you get to the top, and it does a 180, and you drop vertical. But here's the kicker. If you're in the front carriage, the guys at the back are still going up as you go over the crest, and then you hang there slowly because they're still going up the hill. 
And when they go over the top, gravity takes over and everybody plummets. But a different ride if you're at the front or if you're at the back. Do you understand what I'm saying? Life is a roller coaster ride for us here in 2020. Not the same ride for every person. So please don't judge each other about how they're journeying, because some are finding it harder than others. Some are carrying different loads than others. Some have got different stuff going on at home than others. Some people have work uncertainty. And if you don't have work uncertainty, you're coasting as far as work goes, baby, whereas someone else is struggling. Some have got relational issues at home that you may not be experiencing, but let's have a little bit of grace. It's a roller coaster, but it's not the same for every person. But what we are called to do is to persevere and to persevere together. And that's why I think it's a God idea that we have this buddy system connecting idea through the series. Can I make this happen for you? No. Could I? Oh, with a bit of hard work, but I'm not going to. Reach out to someone. Message them. Call them. Bump into them over coffee and say, hey, let's catch up during the week and do the devotion. Let's at least connect so that we can persevere together. When we isolate, we become a real big, easy target for the enemy. When we stay connected, it helps us to stay safe. The life of Abraham teaches us these things and it's something for you to consider this week as you do the devotion. But I had to also pause and reflect what it means for us as a church. Not surprising, it's actually a quite a similar story in some ways. In 2017, beginning of, the Lord said to me, Tell the people it's time to go to a land that they do not know. Some of you were here for that meeting. Didn't know what it meant. But I had a very strong conviction that God said, get up and say, it's time to go to a land you don't know. For three years, we've wrestled with that. We've prayed as elders. And and I've spent time trying to do my best to make sure I'm hearing God's voice. In 2020, God said to us, it's time to move. For those of you that came to the family meeting in September, you would have got maybe one of these about the journey of Zion. And on the back, it's got a proposed timeline because God said, it's time to move. And there's one there if you haven't got one. But I can promise you, I've got a little bit of empathy for how Abraham might have felt. What is it like for Abraham, who's settled in the land of Haran, he's just buried his father in honor of the dead son that died back in the era of Chaldeans, and he's wealthy, he's got livestock, he's got servants, he's got a wife that loves him, and life is good. And God says, pack it up, leave your comfort, and go somewhere that you can't see. And don't worry, when you get there, I'll show it to you. Man, if I was Abraham, I'd be like, man, really? Are you sure? 
And then lo and behold, guess what happens here? God says to me, tell the church it's time to move. And that weighed really heavy on me. But what is a life of faith if it's not a life of action? Obedience, dedication and worship, perseverance. If I was Abraham in this story, and I kind of am in the Zion story, so many questions. Like if God is saying to leave here, like where do we go? I don't know. And if we do leave here, like do we meet together or do we do it online or we rent a hall? I don't know. And, and what, what, will people still come to church? Like will they come and join us for worship or how will people know? I don't know. But in the same way where Abraham was called to go somewhere, and when he even got there, it was inhabited by Canaanites, but God said, every place you set your foot, I will give you as your inheritance. And all the peoples of earth will be blessed through you. Now, that's not our promise. I didn't get that one. I mean, here's a question I ask myself. Is this God speaking, or do I just have too much cheese on my pizza? Too many espressos. Legit, I asked that question. It's a significant conversation, but it's called the way of faith. The way of faith requires action, even in the absence of answers. So if you, if you didn't get one of these and you want one of these, you can grab one afterwards, have a read of it, and if you've got questions... Come and have a coffee with me. Come and have a chat with me. I, I'm not promising to have answers, but I still love the conversation anyway. And here's, So the reason I share that with you today is this. Let me go back. I'm going to do this one again, and I'm going to leave it up. I'm gonna, there's a bunch of other content I've got, but I'll, maybe I'll put it in a video tomorrow and share it online. I just want to leave it this here, if you can see that. Because these are the four things that I see in Abraham's life. These are the four things that I'm wrestling with personally, and actually this week I'm really struggling with. And these are the four things that I think we as a church community need. Together. You see, the story of Zion isn't a story of a church. It's a collection of a whole bunch of stories that make up a church. The narrative that I'm blessed to have from our forefathers shows me the seasons of the church and what they went through, the highs and the lows and the roller coasters and, um, and everything in between. It's just a collection of a lot of stories. The question is, how are you going and staying connected with the promise? The one thing that I learn about the life of Abraham who became Abraham is he never let go of the promise. Read it, Genesis 12, and keep reading. Abraham never let go of the promise. I mean, most of the time he was obedient. Read Genesis 22 and you'll see it was tested. Top of Mount Moriah with his 13-year-old son looking at him in the eye going, do it, Dad, God said do it. And he raised this 
raised the blade to sacrifice Isaac to God as an act of worship and consecration. So dude's got one on me there for obedience. Worship, what about worship? Where's the priorities? You know, where's the priorities in setting God first in your family, in your lifestyle, your choices? Where's it, where about setting God first in your business? The decisions you're making every day of the week, not just Sunday. And perseverance, man, if anything I've learned this year, we've got to stick together. We've got to ride that roller coaster together. So I'm not sure where you're at, whether you're struggling with clarity in the promise or, or whether you've just lost sight of it. I'm not sure if you're feeling like you messed up and your obedience has taken a hammering because you made some wrong choices. I don't know. But what I've decided is that um, if, if, I'm, if I'm struggling with it in, in my journey, and if there's others struggling in their journey, then the best way to deal with that is to pray about it together. So we're going to close shortly. And the coffee's on, and the fellowship time, hang out. But I'm going to be over there. And if you're struggling in the area of the promise, obedience, worship, or perseverance, Come and stand with me. And I'm just going to pray for us collectively and we're going to pray for each other, however it looks. I don't, I don't know. But I do know this. When we stay connected, we find strength to persevere. Let me pray. Almighty God, I commit this message and the scriptures in this message to you. Lord, may your word come alive to each person that hears it, both in the building and, and online. God, may the Holy Scriptures jump in their spirit too that would bring them to a place of being in communion with you, that by your Holy Spirit you'd minister to each one of us the grace and the love that you want to bring for this way of faith. We thank you that you're a loving father that continues to speak to us. And I thank you that despite our weakness, your strength comes in perfection. For those that feel disconnected, for those who feel isolated, Lord, help us to reach out. Help us to embrace. Help us to include and connect in order that we would do this journey well, that the stories of our faith, Lord, would echo through the corridors of history. And bless your church in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior. May we each know the love of God, our Father in heaven, and may we have a strong connection and a sense of the fellowship of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Every day. Amen. Hey, thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed our message and it inspired you. Stay connected and get amongst our family. Find us on Facebook, YouTube, or our app. We are Zion People.